Welcome, welcome everyone to the Simon Dan podcast, the place where science and conspiracy collides. We're episode 42. I remember the number. Um, how you're doing? Hope you're well. Um, thanks so much, everyone who's been listening so far. Uh, just a quick stat the podcast has now passed 200,000 downloads in total. Uh, and that's over, I think it's about a, just over a year, I think. So, massive thank you to all of you that have listened. Let's bring on the co-host. Here he is, the man who once stopped traffic to tell them he was writing a textbook. It's Katz. I got it in early, mate. You did, you, did. you got it in this week. 200,000 downloads, mate. I'd like to think that I'm only responsible for about half of those. So uh, there, are, there are some people who listen. At least 51%, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How you doing, mate? Anyway, you all right? Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, cool. very, uh, very good. Happy Halloween and all that. Yeah. So, talking of Halloween, did you watch any Squid Game yet? <clears throat> no, no. I knew you wouldn't. Um, but so, I promise you, I would as well. I'm yeah, it's fine. Down. It's fine. Just make sure you do. But anyway, I bought a Squid Game outfit. Right. So the kids were all going out. For, we went trick or treating, and I was wearing a Squid Game outfit. You, you obviously don't know what it is because you've not seen it. But anyway. I've I've been doing this job now, YouTubing for a few years, and I do get recognised quite a bit out and about. So, like, oh, you're Simon Dan, like, yeah, Simon Dan, how you doing? How you doing? All right. No one has ever asked me for a photo in that time. They've just said, you're Simon Dan, how you doing? Thanks so much. I'm in this Squid Game outfit for 45 minutes. Three people asked me for a photo. You can't even see my face, cats. You can't even see my face. So what's got, that telling you? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So, so, so there we go. That, that's, that, it was a, it was a great, great fun last night. Great fun. So kids, kids had a good hoard of uh, candy and I, I got my photo taken with three people. So, uh, good stuff. How about you? Did you have a good, good Halloween? Yeah, it was good. I stayed in. I watched a couple of horror films, um, got a takeaway, had a beer. It was nice. Yeah. Nice, quiet time. Cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we'll leave the Flat Earth news this week and we'll bring on our guests. So joining this week, this week is a top science communicator and physical volcanologist, Dr. Janine Kripner. Welcome and thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Do you, do you guys do, so you're from New Zealand, aren't you? Do you do uh, Halloween over there? Uh, not really. I've noticed not really. that since oh, okay. I was away overseas, it's a little bigger now, but... Not really. Well, you, you I, didn't, I didn't see anyone trick or treating, but we were also in lockdown. So, of course, of course. Uh, I mean, you spent some time in the states, and I'm sure it was you saw how big it was over there. Yes, yeah. I've never seen so many different decorations for so many different things <laughs> yeah. that I in the states. It's insane, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I was chatting to a, a friend of mine who's American. He says that Halloween and um, Thanksgiving are the two biggest things. Like bigger than Christmas, uh, he said. Those yeah. two, those two are the big ones over there, uh, I'll, which I find hard to believe because obviously Christmas is the number one uh, holiday, isn't it? Isn't it, cats? Yeah. He's <laughs> muted. He's muted. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Does, does yeah, Santa 100%. need to buy you a new microphone? <laughs> well, the kids who were playing Merry uh, Merry Hell on the landing, I thought if I'm mute, you won't hear them, and uh, then I forgot okay. I was muted. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway. Janine, thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you tell us a bit about how what got you interested in science and then obviously volcanoes in particular? Yeah, so uh, I always loved volcanoes. Being from New Zealand, we have a few of them. I'm surrounded sure. by a sort of semi-ring of extinct volcanoes here and we have our more active ones down south and 
course, our biggest city is in a volcanic field. So I, I don't remember not loving them. My grandfather had videos he took at places like Hawaii and he had a lot of volcano books and rock collections. So I was just fascinated with them. And when I was 13, my teacher in geography class wrote volcanologist on the board and I sat back in my chair. I was like, that's what I am. That's it. A 13. And many wow. years later, that's what I'm doing. That's incredible. I mean, I, at 13, I think I wanted to be an astronaut. So that, that didn't really work out. What about you cats? <laughs> Doctor, I think. I think doctor? I doctor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But it was a lot of work, you know. Yeah, so. too, too much work. Too much work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the first time I kind of knew about New Zealand, well, I obviously knew New Zealand was a country, but anything about it, what it was like, was watching Lord of the Rings. Uh, beautiful, beautiful landscape. I'm extremely envious of, of all you guys that live over there because it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, how is it? Is it much? Is there many active volcanoes in New Zealand or are they all extinct yeah we we do have uh white island or fakari um which a lot of people have seen in the news recently the yeah. auckland volcanic field is uh pretty young the last eruption wasn't that long ago and it has a lot of different vents um around the city uh we have ropehu tongorero narahoi down south and we have topo our super volcano yeah as a lot of people like to call it um, and we have some older calderas as well and we have older volcanics where i am and the waikato which is south of auckland and we also have taranaki which is sort of doing its own thing <laughs> along the west coast <laughs> down there so yeah we're, we're a pretty volcanically active country in yeah, the north I, island anyway yeah and i guess obviously you everyone's always used all used to it because here in the uk i'm sure cats will agree with me like we, we have got nothing over here to do with like that, that sort of thing um, and I, I went on holiday to um, uh, Lanzarote, which is obviously an old volcanic island. I did went for a run and it was up like this tiny mini volcano. I was really excited. I was like, yeah, I'm next to a volcano, even though it's really small. <laughs> and uh, but obviously you guys are used to it all the time. Um, but yeah, volcanoes is something I've always been interested in since school. Um, and I do regret not learning more about it since school really i've learned of bits and pieces how do you find the general public's basic knowledge regarding earthquakes and volcanoes like kind of globally it's both relatively good okay. and also awful yeah. so if you look at a field like for example epidemiology if you asked any of us a few years ago anything about epidemiology we would have been like what is that field we don't even know that name now we know a lot more about it because yeah. we're living with it sure volcanoes are a lot more in the forefront of people's minds because they're in the news every now and again there are a lot of uh, popular disaster movies or not so popular disaster movies on them they really inspire the imagination and even fear and excitement a lot of people go to visit them but there's a huge level of misunderstanding of even the most basic concepts about volcanology so for example what is volcanic ash um, a lot of people call it some, the ash plume the big gray plume coming out of a volcano smoke but that's shards of glass and hot rock and gas oh, and okay. crystals so the smallest details are are very misunderstood but there's also this huge interest so both good and not so good uh, i think regarding that actually with the with the ash the, the smokes like ash thing you were saying i think here in the uk we are quite well versed on that after what happened with iceland and no one was allowed to fly anywhere because everything all the, the, the plane engines so we we knew quite a bit about that um, but yeah, I think with most things, there's a lot of misinformation, isn't there? And I, I'm not surprised to hear that it's it's present in, in volcanoes and earthquakes as well. Um, 
But right now, we've had quite a bit of activity, haven't we? I mean, it's probably silly saying that to you because you've, you've probably see activity all the time. But in terms of the news, we've got, is it La Palma, is it? That was in the, in the Canaries. Um, but the, uh, the question I want to say is, how much erupting is going on right now as we speak on Earth? What's your guess? Uh, in terms of the amount of volcanoes? Both of you. Okay. Yeah, how many volcanoes do you think are erupting right now? Uh, 18. 18? Cats? What do you, what do you think? Uh, 50. Oh, yeah. As of a couple of weeks ago, our official number is 48. Oh, he's looked- I knew that, How I knew that. that. There's been Unbelievable. two today. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> so yeah, and that, that's pretty normal. So there okay. are a couple of numbers that float around, usually on any given day, there are between 40 and 50, and that could be a bit more or less yeah. volcanic eruptive episodes. That doesn't mean that something is coming out of the vent every sure. single day, because as we see with volcanoes, they have lulls in activity and they have um, increases and decreases. So on any given day, there's around 20 volcanoes where something's coming out of the volcano. Okay. Um, but that will widely vary depending on which volcanoes are active or not. So yeah, yeah 40 to 50 okay. on average eruptive periods on any given day. Cool. So, so a not, pretty active planet. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're not we're not talking 50 Krakatoas here, are we? We're just talking like... No, yeah, no. Like <laughs> activity, active, like general activity. Cool, gotcha. Right, um, you're very active on Twitter, aren't you, as well? Um, it's great to see. I love how much you post and you can, you can actually tell, you really tell how passionate you are about the subject. Was that something you had in mind from the start, the social media stuff and being really present in, with it? Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, when I wanted to be a, decided I want to be a volcanologist, I don't think we even had the internet here yet. Um, <laughs> so it was quite a while before that. Uh, I think I joined Twitter in 2013 and I was just retweeting things about volcanoes. Um, I actually thought Twitter was stupid when I joined it, but I was at a conference in Japan and people were talking about it. I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. Um, but it wasn't until 2017 really that I saw the power of social media as a tool for getting people information when they need it. Yeah. So that's when I really stepped up and started putting myself out there more instead of just giving, you know, volcano facts and things and trying to build a relationship with communities so they know where to go so I can point them where to go for information when people need it. Yeah, absolutely. And Twitter's probably the best one for right here, right now sort of stuff, isn't it? It's like the, the quickest uh, sort of getting information across. Uh, Cats, that's when you know you've made it. When he's, you know, I was out in a conference in Japan uh, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Slip that in, yeah. Love it, love it. Um, okay, so you, t you mentioned the you mentioned the movies, right? Something I've always wanted to ask a volcanologist, right, is how these volcanoes depicted in movies. So Dante's Peak, right, is one of my favourite films, old film. I love Pierce Brosnan. Uh, I think he's great. I love I loved the film growing up, but... How realistic was that pyroclastic flow scene? Are they really that fast? Okay, so Dante's Peak is my favorite movie. Oh, okay. Hands down. So I guess that's Ever. quite scientifically correct then. Mostly. Okay, right. <laughs> but the pyroclastic flow scene is, in my opinion, the best eruption scene ah, okay. in cinematic history. So wow. um, some of them that come close, uh, the Loki series recently, they did um, the, uh, yes. the Naples destroying Vesuvius eruption. They did a really good job. The pyroclastic flow scene in Dante's Peak is excellent. Wow. I've watched it 
probably well over a hundred times. I've shown it in talks as well. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be able to unread it with a truck. Uh, that part, not so great, okay. but the, the speed of it is they're incredibly fast. There is a huge range though, depending on how big it is, but obviously that was a very, very large one uh, modeled after the Mount St. Helens 1980 sure. eruption. Yeah. Um, you have the big boulders that are within it showing that it's not just smoke, it's actually volcanic rock and very hot, searing hot gas that's coming through with that thing. So no, they did a great job. I love oh. that movie and I love that so, scene. So they, they are. didn't have the lava flow. But <laughs> ah, okay. so they are that perfect. they definitely are that fast then the pyroclastic flows they can be yes, okay cool. absolutely because i was thinking yeah. like it, it would it would cut to the, the the truck and it'd be like closing in and then the next cut it'd be a bit further away and it'd be closing in again i'm like what's going on here are they outrunning <laughs> it or not <laughs> yeah i mean i i i suppose with something that big it would be very difficult to get the scale yeah. of how close something like that is um, in fact, there are really interesting uh, stories and a lot of really sad stories too from the Mount St. Helens eruption is people didn't actually hear the eruption. They oh, didn't okay. know it was coming until they heard trees breaking. So yeah, it's the, the scale of these events and how fast they are and depending on where you are in relation to it is going to be a very different experience. Okay. And I guess that's hopefully quite... one that people survive. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, I guess that's quite difficult to predict as well. Uh, if it's going to be that that large and yeah yeah like we we can definitely forecast volcanic activity yeah. more so at volcanoes where we've been monitoring them for a long time because every volcano is different they all have their own personalities sure. and mood swings um like volcanoes like etna that's been monitored for a really long time Kilauea. so we have a lot of information on what those volcanoes personalities are like and what this what the signs they're giving us may lead to um of course then there are still surprise um events because you were talking about like the volcano itself is this really tiny part of the whole system below that you yeah. have this enormous really complicated evolving through time magmatic system so there's I don't know, a few thousand of us around the world and we work together. That's why we have conferences in places like Japan where we share our research. We have uh, groups that monitor volcanoes together, like the Yellowstone Volcano Observatory is actually a consortium of different agencies and universities and research groups. Yeah. So there's a lot we can do, but with pyroclastic flows, there are several different ways which they can be triggered. And one of them is like, a, if you have a massive ash plume erupting, part of that could collapse. And that is pretty hard to predict, predict in itself. Yeah, but we can look at the past activity of a specific volcano and go, okay, this is what this volcano tends to do over and over again. It's pretty likely it's going to do that again. We should get okay. people out of the way, depending on what activity it's showing us. Okay. All right. I can get, I guess how it, the nature of the whole pyroclastic flow, it must be really difficult to to say exactly when that's going to happen um you mentioned yellowstone there i mean how without scaring too many people how li how likely is that going to go well it depends on what you mean by gonna go so yellowstone uh, is the, like <laughs> the monster under the bed and vol in the volcano world yeah so this term super volcano i really don't like it uh, when right. you as soon as a volcano is super volcano attached to it people think this the only thing that volcano does is super yeah so the last, there's been like three massive, two to three super eruptions at that volcano. That's something that um, in the scientific world, we call a VI-8. We have a scale of volcano explosivity index, okay. caldera forming eruption that erupts over a thousand cubic kilometers of magma. So it's had two, nearly three ones borderline 
of those kind of eruptions. Since the last one of those, it's had 30 to 40 much smaller eruptions, and many of those were lava flows. So, yeah, Yellowstone will likely erupt again one day, but it's probably not going to be one of those really big eruptions that everyone loves to talk about. In fact, that is the least likely scenario, and we don't even know if it will happen again. All right, gotcha. So uh, where you said these 30 or 40, is that sort of like releasing pressure gradually? Is that how it works? Um, Not really. uh, There is definitely pressure involved with eruptions, but when you have this evolving system and you might have little magma bits coming up every now and again, then they just chill out in the crust in a while and they're evolving as they sit there and potentially mixing with other magmas. Um, It's it's not just about pressure because you can have this... um, if you have a magma blob sitting there for a really t- long time, it might start cooling. You might have gases that are releasing into the crust. So it's not just about the pressure. Um, it's about how much magma is continually coming into the system. If it's actually eruptable magma, a lot of magma is really just solid crystals and rock bits. So you have to get enough melt accumulated and then the right conditions for it to actually erupt. Uh, okay. So as with everything in volcanology, the answer is it's complicated. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's good though. I, I learned something new there. There's more than one type of magma. Uh, I would have thought, you know, magma's magma. That's. <laughs> uh, but everyone, you're safe. So everyone's safe for the moment. That's good. Um, yeah, and, and that is one of the most well-monitored volcanoes in the world. And I, I you bet, know, another yeah. big myth that we have <laughs> is volcano volcanologists would want to hide it because we're afraid of panicking people. Well, panic is a useless concept that has been proven to not really exist in the way people think it is. And you can't really hide a volcano yeah. Yeah. these days. Yeah, Not that we'd want to. No, yeah, yeah. You absolutely don't want to do that, do you? <laughs> um, one of my favourite bodies in the solar system is Jupiter's moon Io, which I'm sure you know, and it is extremely volcanic. Um, a slightly different question coming up here. Could humans survive on Earth if there was that much volcanic activity going on all the time? Because I think in Io, it's like, I'm guessing I'm going to half answer my own question because you said 50 around 50 and I always think it's up to 400 volcanoes going off at once. Could we deal with that here on earth? I'm definitely not an IO expert. Um, I'm very much earth-based, but yeah. um, it depends on the type of the eruption, right? Because IO part of the reason that it has those kinds of eruptions is it's because it's a, like a, a gravitational push pull yeah. thing. Yeah. And there's also other applications like that. Like does it have an atmosphere and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that, affects the way that the volcanic volcanoes are erupting like first of all are they magma are they you know sulfur what is happening but yeah. my biggest concern with that much activity would be the gases ah, okay. so on earth the volcanic gases that happen um, are very much a natural part of the earth cycling of our atmosphere of different gases of carbon dioxide so Another big myth is volcanoes are causing the climate change we're seeing. No, they're not. <laughs> um, it's, it's a normal part of our planet. But if we ramped that up to, I don't know, several times that amount, um, especially if you have very sulfur-rich or carbon dioxide-rich, you know, it's, that'd yeah. be the thing I'd be worried about. Okay. Okay. That's good. Good, good to know. Um, right. We're going to have a short break. Uh, this is the part of the show where cats will bring us a piece of science news. We call it Cat's Curiosity, uh, something that's interested him over the last week, and then we're going to uh, discuss what he's got. So, cats, what is it? 
Oh well, <laughs> it's been a challenge this week. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say it's uh, I wouldn't say it's up to the date news, but I've tried to merge Halloween, which was yesterday at the time of recording. So I just spoiled that for the, when this this goes out live. <laughs> but yesterday was Halloween. Maybe I should have done this one last week. And I've tried to merge it with something uh, kind of semi-linked to volcanoes. Okay. Um, Maybe I've failed. The people in the comments section might, might tell us. Yeah. This is going to end, end up with a, a question for you, by the way. So um, I was Googling science uh, about uh, the science of ghosts and why people believe in ghosts, why people feel they see ghosts. And I came across a story, which I had heard before. I mentioned it on, uh, uh, on another podcast once, actually. Um, about a scientist called, well, it wasn't a scientist, sorry. It was he, he was a law professor called Vic Tandy at Coventry University. Now, Vic Tandy got news of a lab in the university where all the people who worked in the lab claimed that the lab was haunted. And we're talking about scientific professionals, doctors, PhD students. And they were, they were going into the lab and they were coming out absolutely petrified. Um, some of them reported seeing ghosts, feeling things, having the, the, the sense that they were being watched. But none of them were ghost believers or any anything like that, you know. Yeah. So it was very it, to him. It was very curious, you know. So he thought, oh, "I'm going to go and investigate it." And him and uh, Dr. Tony Lawrence, uh, who was who was a, a scientist, not a, a law uh, professor, they decided to have a look at the lab to see if they could find a scientific reason for it. And they found when they went in with the measuring equipment that there was uh, an infrasound source somewhere in the room, giving out uh, I think it's about eight, j- just under nineteen. Uh, 19 uh, hertz okay so what infrasound we teach at high school like below 20 hertz Um, so anyway it turns out that there is research that says infrasound can affect your senses it can cause vibrations in the body including the eyeball which has been linked to some hallucinations but it also amplifies emotion so if you are working alone in a lab at night and you're a little bit anxious just because everyone is when they're alone at night yeah. then the infrasound are properly uh emphasize that so you're extremely anxious and then maybe you hear something or or think you see something that makes you even more anxious and uh it was a broken fan that caused it and when they turned the fan off and the infrasound had gone nobody ever uh, complained again at all okay. uh, and Vic Tandy has kind of made a bit of a career on the side now ghost busting career going around Coventry to haunted places locating the source of infrasound and knocking uh, knocking off what, whatever it is causing infrasound nice uh, but I do know that people who study volcanoes uh, use infrasound in the monitoring of volcanoes and I just wondered uh, if the uh, if infrasound has ever caused any sort of like weird behaviour with animals or anything like that like does that tie in at all or Oh, that's a good question. So we do see some odd behavior with animals and we have people, um, of course, link that with animals predicting volcanic eruptions. But um, I've always, and this is of course a guess, I haven't studied it. I've always attributed that to the animals are probably sensitive to the vibrations that the volcano's causing as it's leading to an eruption that we might not be yeah. as sensitive to. So it's, it's really fascinating with vibrations, how you could have several people in a room and there could be a, a, an earthquake far away. If one of those people is from a place like Christchurch in New Zealand or Japan and has experienced earthquakes, they might feel it when the other people don't. And I've been in a room with people where this has happened. I felt absolutely nothing, but people from earthquake prone areas have felt it. So the way that we feel earthquakes is dependent on how sensitive we are to them, how much we're paying attention. If we just think, oh, that was just a truck going by. Also where we are and all of that kind of stuff too. So I wonder if that kind of stuff is the animals, I mean, they're living on the ground on all fours are perceiving it 
before we do. And of course, once the volcano shakes, of course, all the snakes are going to want to come off the volcano and, and do scary, weird things like that. So good question. I have a good friend, Anna Patu, in Infrasound. I will ask her what she thinks. Yes. Brilliant. Good stuff. Thanks, Kaz. That was actually really interesting. Um, really good, <laughs> really good story. Um, maybe we should get your, uh, uh, so do you know the guy who does the Infrasound thing? No, but when I was uh, when, whenever I was teaching infrasound at school, there was a YouTube clip video with with him on, and I'd always use it as a the yeah. starter to the lesson with him talking about yeah. you know because get a bit of a hook for the kids. Cool, good idea. Could, could make a good guest. Could make a good guest. Mm. Yeah, um, I because I want to do stuff on ghosts actually. Right, let's let's move on. So before before we touch on volcano conspiracies in particular, uh, on a few occasions I've looked at the expanding Earth theory. Now. Given you know quite a lot about plate tectonics, how unrealistic is that, um, or is it one of the more feasible theories? Uh, once upon a time, it was a feasible theory. Yeah. Uh, back before we knew that plate tectonics was a thing, there sure. was of course I think it was a book or a paper written on this, and that's what we do in science, right? We we yes. come up with ideas to fit what we're seeing, um, especially in geology. Like geology is is hard to have the scientific method in a lot of areas where you can't just put a volcano in a lab and test mm. it twenty times. We see something and then we look for evidence to to explain it. So over time, we've got hordes and hordes and hordes of data on so many things. So it's really hard for us to just lackadaisically come up with ideas without making that fit to the data anymore. And one of the, the what that has led us to is plate tectonics. We also have satellites now, so we can actually measure the movement of the Earth's surface. So it's, it's it'd be really hard to have this happening yeah. without it being noticed. Yeah. And all, all the things that uh, were needed to be explained through that potential idea have been explained by other things like plate tectonics, which is it is widely accepted as yeah. the way that things work. We can see it happening. We can measure it. We have all of these different ways of, of seeing that. And so, no, that has been debunked. Yes, yes. Good, good stuff. That's exactly what I was hoping you would say. Um, now, Katz and I take on flat earthers all the time. Uh, and one of the exp explanations we've heard before regarding plate tectonics and seismic activity in general on a flat earth is tubes of lava running underneath us all that interconnect. Um, can you tell all those that are listening just how ridiculous plate tectonics, volcanoes and earthquakes would have to be on a flat earth? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so many questions. Yeah. Uh, tubes of lava. Well, being underground, it would technically be magma. Yes, of course. Um, that's not how it works. No. Uh, no. We have magma, like there's the earth, which in reality we know is round. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure on everything. So to have just an open tube, like a metro subway line with ma with lava going or magma going through it, um, no, <laughs> no, we have, we have different magmas coming out of different volcanoes. Like we mentioned Yellowstone before you have rhyolite, which is a really sticky magma, which can result in those really explosive eruptions or really okay. thick lava flows too, more often in that area. Uh, we also have basaltic lava, which is the type you get at Hawaii, um, where you oh, have yeah. these really running fluid lavas. So even the composition of everything that makes up the magma 
tells us it's formed at different places, different areas below the crust, under different pressures, under temperatures. We can measure all of that. We can even, me even measure to a degree how fast it came up and what pressures all the different crystals formed in. So um, if you have a flat earth, I mean, is this a, like a slab of just well, like flat rock? It's, it's difficult to say because so, so many of them believe different things, but um, okay. it, it, it's basically, it could be an infinite depth couldn't it cats what the what they believe it could be any the, there are as many different versions as there are flat earthers yeah. i think of yeah. the story yeah. but if, if it's an infinite depth isn't it then like um okay if it's like a square isn't that a, then a cube earth uh possibly yeah uh, there's so many different things <laughs> it, it could be an infinite depth of with infinite boundaries so it could, a lot of people say the ice wall and then it's just infinite ice going out and there's other lands out there uh, it could okay. be a flying space pizza. It could be anything. Oh, well, I mean, creativity is a really important part in science when you're initially coming up with ideas, Absolutely. right? You have to think outside the box to come up with new questions. Um, fortunately for science, we've actually come up with answers to a lot of those questions and continual information and data that we select, collect on Earth, below the surface of the Earth and from satellites that are continuously telling us um, what that is but uh, i don't know a few of my questions i guess would be how is the magma forming you know we don't have volcanoes on a lot of planets and moons in our solar system you mentioned io we don't have you know not everything is volcanically active with magma we generally need something like plate tectonics or a huge gravitational field like jupiter pulling on a moon yeah so getting the magma in the first place with plate tectonics and then without plate sorry with the flat earth without plate tectonics would be a challenge. And another really important part of plate tectonics is we have the recycling of the crust. Yes. Like it comes up through eruptions and erogeny of, you know, mountain building, but then it goes back down under again when we have subduction zones, which is where we get a lot of our volcanoes. Yeah. And that's kind of this huge cycling process. So without a big cycling process, I just, I just, I don't see it, how that see would happen. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Any, any flat earthers listening, that's the challenge. If you could try and explain plate tectonics on whatever version of flat earth you believe, then that would be wonderful. Uh, and we'd love to hear it. Uh, one of the things that Katz and I like talking about most in terms of proofs of, of a globe is the, uh, Katz has done quite a, bit, a lot of it in his debates, the seismic shadow uh, that you get uh, where the seismic waves can't pass through the core of the earth uh, and we're picking up is that what is that what cats were picking up the yeah, size of waves? P wave shadow and uh yeah. shadow zones so, yeah and, and the, the uh the symmetric you know so <clears throat> wherever the epicenter is it's almost like a symmetric uh, you'd get oh god i've lost me i can't talk <laughs> i can't talk without the diagram don't ask me a question when <laughs> i've got my diagram but but <laughs> so yeah but it's always the same in relation yeah, to but, the so yeah we, we talk about that but a lot but they don't they don't accept that, do they, cats? They don't accept that as a as a as a as proof that there is a core. And anything anything that you say, where you you measure real world data like that, and uh, and you say, well, you know, this this data perfectly is explained, you know, using using this shape of an earth or, or whatever. Um, to them, it, it's it's in one ear and out the other because they have this idea that essentially you've decided the earth is a globe and you're manipulating your calculations if you like yeah. to, uh, to 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 prove that you yeah, know uh, absolutely. but um i don't know there we go <laughs> i think i think something that is misunderstood um outside of science is how much scientists like to prove each other wrong 
Oh yeah. So I've been to conferences where there have been arguments over something and, and there have been, you know, even some pretty nasty comments that people's were like, this is, this is garbage. You need to start again. And um, that's of course, never a way to go about anything in life. So a part of science is not only trying to prove the research, um, trying to make, improve the research, I should say, trying to make it better, trying to make it fit with new data we get, but always really doubting yourself and saying like, okay, this is what I'm seeing in the data. How could I be wrong? Yeah. What are the infinite ways that I could be wrong on this until you come up with something that is worthy of being peer reviewed. And then that's what other people do to your research too, is okay, how can this be wrong? So it's something we do to ourselves. And that's, I think, why almost all of us suffer with imposter syndrome and that we're not good enough in everything we yeah. do because that's what science is, is Absolutely. how can I be wrong? How can I be better? How and can it, I get more data per- to prove It's the this? perfect process, isn't it? It's the, it's the perfect process. And and it, we've been doing it for forever. Uh, Galileo, Galileo and Kepler were famously, uh, they famously didn't like each other. Uh, Johannes Kepler and, and Galileo Galilei. Galileo would say that all of his ideas are wrong. Kepler's ideas are wrong. And obviously Kepler went on to prove laws of planetary motion and stuff like that. So it's been happening for hundreds of years. Uh, and the process, uh, like I think Feynman said it once, we are at the end of a 500 year journey of finding out things about the world or and uh, through proving each other wrong and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's definitely the, uh, the perfect process. Um, there's a well-known conspiracy guy on YouTube called uh, Hans Wormhat who once released a video saying that volcanoes themselves are a hoax. Now, obviously, a lot of people have seen volcanoes. Have you heard that one before? That particular conspiracy? You have. You have heard it. I thought it was a joke. How can people say it? That's what I don't understand. How could they say it? I think that's that's a psychology question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We should have asked Alex last week. We had a psychology guy on last week. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's quite clearly ridiculous because the amount of eyewitness reports and and uh things like that yeah i mean it's just blatantly rude too right like oh, we have yeah. life on earth because of volcanoes they give yeah. us our atmosphere they give us um a lot of nutrients we need they give us you know soils they give us a lot of the water we have on the planet so it's, it's just rude yeah it's rude it's to rude. volcanoes i'll be i'll be offended yeah. on behalf of the yeah, volcanoes absolutely <laughs> Um, are, there, are there any other, you mentioned earlier that, that, that you, there's quite a lot. So are there any other volcano slash geology based conspiracies that you've had to deal with your time on Twitter? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, one that comes up is that volcanic activity is increasing around the world. Um, we have no evidence to say that. Okay. Um, if you look at the amount of known eruptions through time, the known number of eruptions has been increasing recently because we have satellites, we have social media, we have better seismic stations, we have people living in areas posting photos on Instagram when a volcano does any tiny little thing. So we actually see pretty much everything now on the surface. We'll ignore the oceans because that's a whole other, another universe down there basically. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So the amount of eruptions we know about now is pretty accurate to how much is actually going on. But if you look back a couple of decades ago, we didn't have that. And in fact, if you look at uh, on the Global Volcanism Smithsonian website, we have a graph showing the known eruptions and it's going up and down and up and down. Um, And if you were to look at that without understanding the data, you go, wow, there are some really incredible cycles here. But if you look at some of the really big dips, you'll notice that they are World War One and World Uh, War Two financial crisis like when people have been focused on other things yeah 
So people aren't observing them. Um, people aren't, they cannot, in many cases, uh, communicate these eruptions. Uh, also, depending on if a big volcano is in the news, like you guys have probably noticed with La Palma, if one volcano is in the news, you tend to notice other volcanoes yes. going on too. And then you get tabloids from the UK, especially being like, oh, the big volcanoes are erupting and the ring of fire is going to go and we're all going to die. The end of the world. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. that's definitely a UK tabloid headline, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, look at, you know, we, we hear people saying that super volcanoes are going to kill us all in extinction. Well, according to the tabloids, we've lived through the end of the world like 20 times in the last two years, so we're doing pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been accused of, like, lie, like through Twitter, have you ever been accused of lying or, or being part of a, a some sort of Freemason society? That's what we get accused of all the time. <laughs> Um, yeah, it doesn't happen very often. I'm very lucky in that most people are very nice yeah. um, to me on Twitter, which I deeply appreciate. Um, but yeah, it happens. And it's usually when there's an emotionally charged situation like the La Palma and the Canary Islands, yeah. which to me is emotionally charged because people are losing their homes. People Absolutely. are losing their livelihoods. Yeah. Um, that's It's a horrendous situation for those on the island losing their actual communities. But then you get these ideas that just get out of hand, like the mega tsunami, which came from one study, which has since been debunked by multiple other researchers. Yeah. And I don't know, people get hold of these ideas and it, I've got messages from people who have been absolutely terrified. And I don't use that word lightly. Yeah. Absolutely terrified in the United States and South America. So, yeah, um, when that kind of stuff is going on, I eventually have to back off and stop because, you know, this isn't actually part of my job, the communication. I do it because yeah. I think it's important. Um, but it, people can get pretty scary yeah, when they're yeah. really emotionally invested in a conspiracy it, theory absolutely. I mean, or idea. Cats and I have seen that time and time and time again. Um, but I guess it's just a, it's a slightly different perspective because with what we talk about, it's you know people have got a belief whether the earth is flat or not and that belief is relatively harmless but things that that you work with these are these are real world things that are happening and and when you get this sort of misinformation that this could happen or this could happen it, i can quite understand how you know if anyone runs with that incorrectly uh in in a Ooh. in a in a large manner in terms of the amount of followers they got and things like that and it can get definitely out of hand um, it's it's slightly different, isn't it, cats, to what what we deal with? Yeah, I was going to say, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that I'm I'm uh, more immune to misinformation than most doing what we do. But I think I've suffered a little bit from this. I watched uh, there was a documentary on the BBC years ago, and I even showed it to the kids in school. We thought it was fascinating. It was called "Could You Survive a Mega Tsunami?" and it was about a volcanic eruption that causes. And it was a BBC sort of like documentary. So you're saying that is actually just that's just debunked. That's not actually even a thing. It's been yeah. So that was based on um, one study, and <coughs> since then there's been more work done on how land like flank collapse is what we're talking about, like the flank of a volcano mm. collapsing how that actually happens, the speed at which that can happen, um, what the impact of a tsunami traveling across the ocean actually is, the underlying topography of the sea floor, uh, big tsunamis like that, or, you know, we, we see them locally. We saw it when at Krakatau a couple of years ago um, within the Sunda Strait, and that was devastating. Um, they leave very specific deposits behind. So we can actually look 
back in time and as like a detective really look at what has happened before and using other scenarios what might happen again so tsunami modeling has come a long way since that um but honestly a lot of the documentaries i see out there i don't think i've seen a single one of them that hasn't had some pretty important inaccuracies yeah so you've really got to you know learn from documentaries they're a great chance to ask questions and dig deeper and just be careful with really what you take as yeah. a core belief about how something works. And I guess movies like 2012 don't help. Uh, <laughs> where you see those no, they don't. pictures of massive skyscraper-sized uh, waves uh, demolishing cities. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's not up there with Dante's Peak 2012, no. Dante's Peak is way better. Yeah. <laughs> Better. What about what's the other uh, San Andreas? What about that? Is that, is that... Uh, so that's seismology, definitely not my area. Seismology okay. is a whole own field, but um, I think the thing I liked about that movie, I mean, it was a fun, you know, action movie. Yeah. If you leave your science brain at the door, yeah. it was just I enjoyed it. Um, the biggest thing for me, positive wise, is someone goes to run into a doorway and the scientist grabs her and throws her under the desk is like, no, you do not stand in a doorway, you go under the desk. So that's a really important safety message that people can take from that is doorways. That's that's a myth that is no longer with the way houses are built now. Do not go to a doorway in an earthquake, get under something solid like a desk or a yeah. table. But then it has one of the really big myths out there in seismology, which is um, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock's character, nearly goes into this giant chasm that's opened up from the earth splitting open. Yeah. But yeah, that that it wouldn't really cause a big earthquake if the earth did that and okay. the earth really wouldn't do that. So uh, there yeah, it's But then we don't get fun, see, then we don't get to see the rock going into a big chasm. <laughs> yeah. I mean I'm glad he didn't. I, I think he's he's a great guy and his character is pretty yeah. neat too. But yeah, okay. again, really entertaining, great for asking questions and wanting to learn more. But yeah. it's not an education. Okay. I'm gonna say one more film, all right? And I really enjoyed this film. But I'm going to say one film, and I bet you're going to say utter nonsense. Ready? The core. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the core. You know, we have recently an argument between geoscientists on okay. Twitter about about how people feel about that. Some people ah. are passionate about loving that film because it's so bad. You know, what we a lot of us actually show if we're teaching. I'm not. Um, in in high school or in university, show these kind of films in in a lab in a class to pull it apart oh, for critical nice. thinking, yeah. right? So it's a great <laughs> learning tool going, okay, so what's everything wrong with this movie? It's entertaining. It's fun. It's scientifically interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, bless them. It, well, it is fun. I like it because it's just so like wacky and out there. Um, but yeah, I, d I did have a suspicion that some of the science wasn't, probably very accurate yeah no <laughs> yeah. no okay. not 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 at all okay. really not at all good 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 <laughs> just just ruin the whole film that's fine uh yeah, sorry right. sorry no, guys i apologize it's totally fine uh <laughs> listen gene we're gonna play the scientist game we're gonna play the scientist game now this is a game where uh you face off against cats um and what i'm gonna do is start reading some facts about a scientist in chronological order and the first person to correctly guess the scientist wins the point. Is it 6-5, Cats? Well, I won last week. I, yeah. I don't know, to be honest. I think I'm... we keep losing score, but he was he was 6-4 down, and now it's 6-5, I think. 
Is that so right? I'm winning six four. Were you winning six four? Yeah. Oh, we totally feel like right. Okay. Right. Yeah, you have a high chance of winning. Well, I, what I'm going to uh, do? We'll, we'll say it's six four to. <laughs> so you won last week, didn't you, Cats? I won last week. Yeah. yeah. Does that make it seven four now? Does it make it six four now? Yes, one of the two. I'm right. not sure. I'm gonna have to Let's say back. six four to Cats. Right. But later, later on, I'll go through them and I'm, I'll, I'll do the check. I really need to keep up on the score. Anyway, Cats is winning. That's all we need to know. Uh, so Janine, you've got you've got to do this for the guests. You've got to do it for the guests. All right. Oh gosh, yes. I, I apologize ahead of time. I'm I'm good with volcanoes, not so much with. It's fine. With, with it's fine. Or... Honestly, Cats <laughs> got it last week. In the was it the second go, the first or second? It was the second guest, but the week before I lost on the first guest. Yeah, I? yeah. Somebody, somebody before, got it right just yeah. on the birthday. The week before he got it. So he lost on the on the birthday. So, you know, wow. you never know. I will know. not be winning on that. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not a history. I, I, I failed catastrophically well, history in high school. So. What I will say is this person is <laughs> extremely famous. That's all I'm going to say. So it should be household name stuff. All right. Here we go. Born in Shrewsbury in 1809. 1825, went to Edinburgh University to study medicine after being kicked out of school. 1828, joined Christ College in Cambridge. Oh, I can see you both thinking. 1831, set sail on the Beagle. Charles Darwin. Oh! I knew someone would get it on that one. Sick of hearing me. I knew. Is that what you were going for, Janine? You're going to go for it. We'll blame it yeah. on the. We'll blame it on the internet connection. We'll blame it on the internet connection. So you know. No, no. I think that was a one fair and square. Absolutely one fair and square. Well done, mate. Well, I actually, I actually did some prep today because because you were on. I thought um, <laughs> that Dan would go for. I don't know why, but I thought he'd go for Alfred uh, Wegener or Wegener. Can oh, that's that, right. That, 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 Tectonic plates guy. Yeah, so uh, I, uh, I looked up his birthday. Um, uh, right, it's too obvious. That's too obvious. It's like when Robin Ince was on. You thought I was going to do Brian Cox. <laughs> too obvious. <laughs> too obvious, mate. Oh, um, anyway, you said 1801. Then I just thought, well, I'm, I'm stuffed. Yeah, <laughs> like, I was just like <laughs> so 1818. So I was going to go boom. <laughs> 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 oh dear. Yeah, uh, no, uh, that he's he's yeah, definitely famous household name. Yeah. Volcano named after him too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it. Well done, Cats. Seven. We're we're we'll calling seven four. But next week I'll come back with the true score. All right. Okay, okay. So, but we'll say you are winning. But well done. Anyway, Janine, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Honestly, I could talk about volcanoes all day long. Um, we can find you on Twitter, can't we? What's your? Is it at? At Janine Kripner. At Janine Kripner. Okay. So we'll, just my name. We'll pop. We'll pop it in the. Uh, we'll pop it in the description. You've got a blog as well, haven't you? I do, um, in the company of Volcanoes. Cool. And also a YouTube channel, uh, Volcano Moments, cool. with Dr. Jean Krupner. Brilliant. We'll whack all of that in the in the, uh, in the the description. And a podcast. In the, and a podcast. Awesome. A we'll Popular get, Volcanics. I cannot keep up with we'll, it. Don't worry about it. We'll get it all in there. Everyone, please go and do <laughs> check, check our work out. It really is, is great stuff. Um, we're done. Cats, next week, we are talking to the science author, um, Marcus Chown. Uh, he's done a couple of books on, on gravity and I reviewed it, one of them for the channel. Uh, so he's going to chat to us about physics and stuff like that. Should be good fun. Uh, but for now, we're done. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.
Bye. Thank you. Stay safe.